financial journey of a doctor is unique and complex. DPM Financial Services is a specialist medical financial advice firm that aims to educate doctors of Australia to make the right financial decisions and achieve their financial goals. DPM Financial Services is all about you getting the right advice that suits your personal and professional needs and making sure you have confidence in your financial future. Property Advocacy is a service offered by DPM in partnership with One Group Property Advisory. Today I'd like to welcome to the PodMD studio Julian Muldoon, Director at One Group. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the information discussed here is of a general nature and is not intended to serve as advice. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of One Group, not PodMD. DPM Financial Services recommends you obtain advice concerning specific matters before making a decision. Julian, thanks for talking with us on PodMD today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. The topic of today's discussion is location and property strategy for private practice. But before we get to that, Julian, can you explain to us, for any of our listeners who are not aware, what is a property advocate? So a property advocate is someone who represents the the buyer or the tenant. So in the world of property, you've got sales agents and leasing agents, and they represent the vendor. Um, Sales agents selling a a tenant, a leasing agent would be uh, trying to lease a property, and a tenant rep or a property advocate represents the um, the incoming tenant or buyer. So they're the one who is accountable for, uh, in a lot of cases, location strategy, property search, site due diligence, pricing and negotiations. Essentially, that kind of frees up the uh, the paying clients to, to focus on what they do best and have someone in their corner, have someone advocating for them. So how important is location strategy and why? Yeah, location strategy with private practice is super important. I don't think there's any other business that requires as much research and analysis on a lot of different trends, and then they need to combine that with running uh, what is a really complex business model in very specific locations. So understanding, uh, first of all, the suburb and location that's going to give the business the greatest chance of success, which really depends on the type of health services that are being offered. So, for example, a specialist may have a very obvious need to be near a hospital if they're delivering babies or if they need to be on on site very, very quickly. Um, That gives them a very narrow search parameter. But when you're looking at general practice, veterinary, dental, there's a lot of competitor analysis work that needs to be done, a lot of needs analysis work around demographic metrics and looking at population change and Uh, what types of services are in demand or you can leverage off within certain areas. Um, So there's a lot of data and information that needs to be pulled together to identify what regions work. And I say regions because if the search is too narrow, sometimes it can be unfruitful and the right properties don't present. And unfortunately, you can spin your wheels in an area for a very long time without setting up. So I'd say location strategy really varies depending on the type of, of services that are being offered. But in all cases, there's definitely a need for part research, part local intel on competition, and and having multiple options as to where the right location might be. Can you give us a shopping list of considerations when choosing the location for your practice? Yeah, certainly. Choosing the location can be sometimes an overwhelming one for doctors because there is a lot of moving parts to it, and they can default by just starting by looking for property, uh, which means you then get caught in the, the sales system and Um, the fear of missing out and attending auctions when you perhaps haven't done all of the homework and understood all of the options. So I think the first thing is always to get a business plan together and have a a clear vision and strategy with what what you're trying to create with the health clinic. 
And in the case of all clients, understanding the zoning of the target region, there's only certain zones that are suitable for healthcare sites and they generally have some limitations on the size. So for example, in New South Wales and Victoria, um, generally setting up in a residential zone is a right of use up to a certain size, as long as you comply with things like car parking and access to the site. And that's where there can be some complexities around getting things like Vic Roads approval for widening crossovers or looking at car parking dispensations and different planning overlays. So I'd say the zoning is always the, the first and most important. And then the actual structure that's on the site as well, whether that's going to be suitable and compliant to convert to a health health clinic and whether that's going to require an extension of the roof line or whether the current building footprint is adequate, all of those things tie into, I guess, the timeline because you might need development approval or you might just be able to set up very, very quickly depending on how suitable the property is in its current form. Um, the parking is probably the biggest challenge we have with sites and, and all doctors would have because there's different ratios depending on number of practitioners or there can be ratios depending on the size of the clinic if you're inside certain what are pre-identified areas that they want healthcare being the council. So in Victoria, it's called the PPTN, the Principal Public Transport Network. If you're inside that, it's a different car parking metric than if you're outside that. And other, other states have different parameters around that too. Generally, it comes down to proximity to train stations, to infrastructure and to council car parking. So if, uh, if a council believe that if a patient shows up and there's no parks on site, they can very quickly get a park safely and conveniently somewhere else on the street, side streets or in the neighbouring council car park, it's a lot easier to get a dispensation and if it's considered to be very accessible to transport. I guess the other side to that is then always, is it still appropriate for the patients to, to walk to the site? You know, if, they're, if you're seeing older patients or patients that are recovering from surgery, you might say, well, council only want me to have seven car parks, but I probably need 15 because I'm going to have four practitioners seeing three patients an hour. And I guess the patient flow aspect comes into play as well. So the three points that I raised were really zoning, location, parking adequacy, and also the net lettable area. So the actual leasable space that's on, on the site. And then also the, the style of property, which really depends on you know, what kind of, uh, I guess, the branding aspect of the business as well. So the, there is a... a a movement away from residential conversions because they tend to be smaller clinics that aren't as feasible to run anymore or they tend to be uh, properties that don't have the right patient flow and workflow um, without really significant development. Or it could just be price point in this market too. So I think there's some, some general ones that apply to everyone. Then there's some more specific ones which would apply to uh, who the core client is, who the target market is, uh, whether you're looking to position yourself close to a, cl a, a cluster of GPs because it's a mental health clinic or whether it's a proximity to hospital uh, for, for obvious reasons of seeing patients and doing procedures. And it might be that we're also looking very closely at you know, demographic data and Medicare billing data to see where there is you know, high propensity for you know, heart conditions or skin cancer conditions based on ethnicity and um, you know, different professions. So I get to see, it can get very granular, but there's always some overarching principles that are, are kind of uniform for every single every single health provider. Do you see it as an advantage or disadvantage being in close proximity to your competitors? So being close to competitors really depends on what services are being offered. So gen in, in general medicine, it's, it's ideal to be in an area where there's the least amount of competitors. So if I'm a in general vet services or dental services or GP services, generally you want to be in an area that's got 
a high population to GP ratio. So you're looking in most cases of wanting there to be in GP and dental world, north of a thousand people per every uh, full-time you know, dentist or doctor. In most cases, there's a very high level number. When you're a specialist, it's very different again. You would do tend to, and most specialists tend to know who's in their field and who's in different areas and what age they are and how many patients they're seeing. So they tend to have a little bit more knowledge on their specific um, area of medicine. But I'd say on the, on the GEP side, in most cases, that the data piece on the competitive analysis piece is absolutely critical. And looking at population growth, which is largely driven by development supply. So they're the two metrics you look really closely at because you can't have a strong population growth if there isn't a strong pipeline of property development. And then also looking at infrastructure strategies too. So looking at where there might be a major activity centre that's going through significant rezoning and government investment, it's going to be high density, which is going to create you know, a, a you know, greater population in that area that are going to require those services. Um, so I would say competition is, is super important. In some cases, um, being in health hubs so you can leverage off foot traffic and referrals from other providers, um, more of those ancillary providers is, is equally as important as looking at the competition. If a doctor knows their target demographic, how can they strategically match that with a location? Yeah, in most cases, doctors know who they're, they're targeting. And even if it's a GP clinic that's offering you know, cosmetic services or a dentist that's doing the same or you know, has some, some sub-specialities, in most cases, they tend to know who has the highest uptake of that service. And that information is really readily available at ABS. There's some incredible data, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, where you can break down areas and more specifically their professions, their age, their income, private health uptake data is separate to ABS, but it's also very important to look at. So you can see within different areas, affluence and um, and I guess how they value health. And all of that information is really powerful to just give confidence and clarity that the area that's being targeted is the right area. And some of this is irrelevant if the doctor's already been working at another clinic within that area and they know that there's significant demand that the current clinic's not meeting or they're going to split away and set up on their own and they're going to have patient goodwill. Sometimes the data is less important but still worth looking at just to have an independent analysis on the region and where it's heading. And I'd say in all cases, it's very important for doctors looking at second and third clinics. So once they expand out of the areas that they know and have had a lot of experience in to areas that might be more foreign to them, that's generally where the data piece um, becomes a lot more important. Is it better to lease or buy your practice property, in your opinion? What are the determining factors? This is one that's always strongly debated, I think, amongst doctors, which is buying versus leasing. And the key thing here is there's really advantages with both options. I mean, on the leasing side, it can carry a lot less risk to lease a property um, because you're taking on uh, what is a, a five or a seven or a 10 year term instead of securing a site that would, inqu- uh, would require you to pay stamp duty and take on debt at a time when you're also potentially starting a new business or expanding into a new location and stretching yourself financially. Um, the landlord could be willing to complete what's considered category one works, which could be floors, walls, ceilings, air conditioning, plumbing points to the tenancy plan. And these things can uh, be a cost of, you know, in excess of fifty to 150000 depending on the size of the site. And in, in most cases, they're willing to give rent-free periods. So you could potentially have very, very little overheads in the first 6, 12, 18 months or even a reduced rent for the first three years while you're getting started. So the overarching 
advantage there is uh, you're taking on less debt and you, you have less overheads. So that can be really advantageous to clients, especially if they're setting up in areas that might be very affluent and have very expensive price points. So for example, in Victoria, if you're looking at places like Turak and Armadale, very hard to establish yourself there when, um, when revenues are low because price points for property is really, really expensive and it can take six, 12, 18 months to find the right site. So leasing allows you to get to market quicker, speed to market with less overheads. The downside is naturally that you're investing in and, and renovating someone else's property and you don't have security of tenure. They could, at the end of your options, you know, first term five years, next two options of five years, 15 years later, they could kick you out or there could be a relocation or development clause in there if they decide that um, they want to develop the site. And essentially you always feel like you're living in someone else's property because you are. And on the buy side, you're, you're getting the wealth creation aspect of buying a vacant property, converting it to a medical center, renovating it, signing a long-term lease to it. And that generally increases the property value by anywhere between you know, 20 to 40%, even more. Um, so that is a huge financial upside for any doctor to take a, a vacant site and turn it into what's considered a, a property investment. And we generally find a lot of doctors come to us later in their career saying, you know, we're leasing, we wish we had a board. And we do remind them that it possibly wasn't the right move for them at the time when they established themselves, but they definitely should consider it at a point when, perform, when the business is performing really well, because generally the banks are happy to lend money and in a lot of cases up to 80, 90, 100% of the value for private practice use. So the debt is, is often there for them if the business is performing. And also the upside is very low risk in a sense that if they buy the property, they lease it back to themselves and they run into some challenges financially, then they can always put the property on the market and they would get significantly more for it than what they paid because of the nature of tenant investments being you know, really highly regarded when there's a healthcare tenant there. Um, the challenge with buying is naturally that it's a very, very tightly held property market, the commercial property market, and in most cases it doesn't move with the same cycles that the residential market does. It's not as emotional and um, there really needs to be a lot of, lot of due diligence done on the site because in some cases you won't have assurance of permitted use and you might have an auction next Friday and you don't know for sure you can run your business out of that site, so it does carry some risk. Whereas on the leasing side, you can always make offers subject to town planning approval. So real advantages and considerations with, with both options. And so how competitive is it to secure commercial property like this? So in the current climate, commercial property is going through a really significant growth curve and we're seeing it across all sectors, uh, which is somewhat surprising. Industrial property was already performing extremely well pre-COVID and that market has now gone, in most cases, 30 to 50% higher in value on rental and on uh, per square metre rate to purchase. And that's because there's a wider tenant mix. So generally, we don't have a lot of doctors in, in industrial, perhaps veterinary hospitals or allied health will set up in light industrial. And that's been really, really challenging um, because so many other businesses in manufacturing and warehousing and logistics are expanding operations really aggressively. Um, so from that point of view, it's been a real challenge. On the commercial office side, a lot easier to obtain commercial office and convert it to healthcare. And that's what a lot of developers are doing at the moment. They're repurposing their development applications or their, their, their buildings and refurbing them into health precincts. Uh, and they'll often offer uh, big incentives and look to complete fit-outs for them at the cost of a very long lease. So you've got to be really careful what you sign up for in that space. 
And on the retail side, it's really surprised us how much services in the suburbs has uh, has outperformed everyone's expectations. And generally, most sites that are suitable for healthcare in the suburbs or city fringes are requiring you know ground floor tenancy of you know 200 to 400 square metres with adequate car parking. And they're always challenging and hard to find. So I'd say it's never really a time in the market where commercial property is easy to secure. And at the moment, it's uh, it's really challenging naturally because interest rates have been so low and uh, and a lot of investment is flying back into tangible assets like property. So I'd say it should get a lot easier in the next 12 months for doctors to secure the right commercial sites. There should be a slight increase in stock levels and there should also be a little bit more negotiation leverage as other sectors outside healthcare uh, potentially don't perform as well. And I think we'll see a lot more healthcare businesses setting up and, and looking to buy their own sites um, naturally because it's, it's often the, uh, the most popular move. Julian, thank you for your time here today in the PodMD studio. To sum up for us, could you please identify the three key take-home messages from today's podcast on location property strategy for private practice? Sure. There's definitely some take-homes from today's session. I think the first one and probably the most important is to really respect and understand the complexity of of setting up private practice and the property piece because you really need to get the business plan and the business vision right first. Property can be the really exciting thing to gravitate to. It's tangible and we all have a you know, strong um, inclination to want to buy property generally in, in the Australian community, but it does it is fraught with risk. And if you don't get the business plan right and the location's not right or the property's not right and sufficient for the growth of the business, it can really slow down slow down the performance of it. And it's very hard to move a healthcare business. The fit-outs are expensive and very few sites are adequate. So I think you've got to get the business plan, the vision and the strategy right. Um, the second one would be get, get your team talking to each other. So in most cases, doctors have got an accountant, a financial planner, potentially a business advisor. If you then have a property advisory team, they may have property valuations, they may have a, a search team, a research team, town planning team. There's possibly then an architect or a, a builder involved. So there can be six to eight key roles that are involved in that process. And if you're trying to coordinate everyone, uh, first of all, things will get missed and it's very hard to understand where the blind spots are. So you really want to have one person that takes the lead on that and is connected to all of your team. I would also say start well before you think you need to. In most cases, uh, doctors come to us when they need a site in one to three months. It's gotta be a minimum six months. If you're buying, I'd say start at least 12 months before you need the site, especially if you're leasing and your lease has got 12 to 24 months left on it. I would definitely look to commence your search if it's location sensitive, if you need to be within a certain proximity of the current site, that's super important. And also so you have negotiation leverage. If you leave the negotiation until your last, say, three months of the lease, you've got no leverage and generally it makes it very hard to negotiate without leverage. Um, and I'll probably say the last one would be reach out if you have any questions. Um, don't be shy to, to call and uh, book a strategy meeting with us. We're more than happy to give a rundown on how we approach the process, share some insights on uh, where we see clients get it right, where they get it wrong, and just make sure you make more informed decisions. So you can reach us on... Uh, 0480 024 214 and more than happy to spend some time with you to make sure you get this right. Thanks again for your time and the insight you've provided. Thank you.